If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 25. We're going to get, begin tonight uh, talking about the golden lampstand. And let me just open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place, your presence in my life, your calming presence. I thank you that you um, want to give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that we might know you better. And I pray for that tonight. I pray that that, that, that revelation, that spirit of revelation will be so present here among us that you would grant understanding even as we begin to teach. Lord, there's a lot of information tonight. I pray that you'd help me to disperse it in a way that's clear, that's effective, Lord, so that a great number of hearers might believe. Father, we can study your word. We can open your word and read it. But Father, it takes supernatural illumination for us to be able to understand it and receive it into our hearts and our minds and have it truly transform us. And I pray for that kind of transformation in this place tonight. Lord, you know I'm nervous about passing out these scriptures, and I pray they'd just be smooth. Transition would be smooth, Lord God, that it would be done in a way that people can understand and will be blessed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read first, one of you have John chapter 9, verse 4. John chapter 9, verse 4. Whoever has that, could you just read that for me? John chapter 9, verse 4. As long as it is day, do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. When no one can work. And then John 8, 12. Does somebody have that? John 8, 12. Mm -hmm. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus in chapter 9 said, I am the light of the world. And in chapter 8, verse 12, he goes on and says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want you to see the word life there. It's such a beautiful picture here. He's saying, I am the light of the world. And then he says that we, his followers, need to be his lights in the world. Because we have, the, have him living inside of us, we become his lights in this world of darkness. Do you see that? We, his people, should illuminate him wherever we go. We should spread his presence, the light of his presence, wherever we go. Now, let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Who has that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. In him was what? Life. In him was life. Do you, do you hear that? It's in him. Life can only be found in him. So in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The life was what, Karen? The light of men. The light of men. The life that can be found in Christ is now the light in us. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness did not comprehend it. So as, as children of the light, his light and his life are in us, and we are called to take his light into the darkness, into this world. But the Bible says that the darkness did not comprehend it. And it's interesting because when I think of that word comprehend, I think it means understand it. But if you really look it up, if you look up that meaning in the original language, it means the darkness could not take possession of the light. Now, now that's, that's powerful in my mind. It means that the darkness could not overcome the light. Light always overcomes darkness. If we walked into this room tonight and it was dark and we hit a light switch, light would overcome darkness. Do you see how that works? Not the other way around. And in him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of all men. His life that we take into this world, when we are truly living possessed by him, when we're truly living empowered by his spirit, we become a life-giving force to those around us. Depression doesn't stand a chance. Despair doesn't, doesn't have any opportunity in our life. Hopelessness can't exist because in him is life. And we, when we are spending time in his presence, it's like Leslie said, put on praise and worship because life will come. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When we enter into his courts, into his presence, that he is a life-giving force. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus describes himself as the word. He, he is the living word. He's the written word. When we get in his word, we get life. And then John goes on to say, this life will light the way and bring light or revelation to us. And then we can take that light and go out into the dark world. Darkness is always associated with evil. Do you see that? Light overcomes darkness. I, I really like the passion in John 1. It says, he is the light that bursts through gloom. I wonder if anybody here tonight is gloomy. Can I tell you, he is the light that bursts through gloom. And he is the likeness that, he is the light that darkness cannot diminish. Can I tell you, no matter how dark your circumstances are, no matter how much evil is coming at you, can I tell you that he is the light that no darkness can diminish? If your life is diminished, if, if your uh, excitement in life is diminished, it's just because you're not spending time in his light, in his presence. Light is symbolic of his presence. Do you see it there? Matthew Henry said that John the Baptist came to bear witness concerning Jesus. And nothing more fully shows the darkness of men's minds than, than when the light had appeared, they needed a witness to call attention to it. Does that make anybody sad besides me? I was reading that quote to Dave, and it never hit me that John the Baptist came, and he said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he was calling attention to the light in a dark place. Do you need to call attention to the light in this place? But John the Baptist, he had to call attention. He had to bear witness to the light because people did not comprehend it. They didn't recognize it. And he goes on to say in John 1, 9, he says that he is the true light and he wants to give light to every man coming in this world. Light is a picture of illumination, of understanding, of knowledge about him. He wants to give you knowledge about him. Notice he says he's the true light. That means there must be some, some not true light, some, what's the word I'm looking for? False. 
some false light. That, and, and so he is the true light. And he wants to give light to all men. He wants to enlighten us. He wants to illuminate us. And we find that in his word. We get that illumination in his word. Let's read Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you are the light of the world. First, he says, I am the light of the world. And then he says that that I'm only going to be here a little while longer. And and so live as children of the light. He says that in another passage. He said, my time is coming and I'm only going to be here a little while longer. But live as children of the light. In other words, he's saying, I am going to be with my father, but I'm leaving your Holy Spirit, the illuminator behind so that you can go and be a light in a dark place. Now you become the light of the world. You were meant to be a lampstand like we're going to study tonight, and you were meant to illuminate the dark world for him. Everywhere we go, we get to spread the knowledge of God. Everywhere we go, we get an opportunity. My mama used to say, Rhea Francis of Assisi said, preach Christ always when necessary, use words. Does your life preach Christ? Are you illuminating him just by your presence? He says, you're a city on a hill. You weren't meant to hide your light under a bushel. You were meant to stick out in this world and and be light for him. We're called to shine for him, to reflect him to a lost and dying world. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all these all things, things... But all things... All things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Yes. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead... And Christ will shine on you. He says that we're children of the light. And then he goes on to say what it looks like to be children of the light. What the fruit of your life, the stuff coming off of your life should look like. He says the fruit of your life should be goodness and righteousness. You should walk right with the Lord. You should live in truth. That you should find out what's acceptable to the Lord and do it and not have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And then he goes on to say, whatever is exposed to the light is manifest. Do, do you see that? that? That nothing can remain hidden. See, we think sometimes that we're hiding things from God, but he is the true light. And when he shines on our life, everything that's hidden in the darkness, the things that we think nobody else sees are exposed to him. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. And so he says, oh, please don't live like that. Live as children of the light. Expose the deeds of darkness just by the way you're living. 
You and I are called to be lampstands for him, to shine for him in a dark place. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many things, Karen? All. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourself to be the blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Uh, you do what? You shine as lights in the world. He says, do everything without grumbling and complaining and, and, and become blameless and faultless children of God because you're in a crooked and perverse generation and you are called to shine forth as a light. You're called to look different. You're called to be a lampstand, a city on the hill. You're called to shine in darkness. And look different than the darkness around you. So we're called to live as children of light. Lampstands made to shine for him. It's interesting tonight. Don, do we have another picture uh, of the tabernacle? I think there's one where we have a lot of material all laying over. Maybe you have that in your workbooks. Uh, there's a picture of the tabernacle and has a bunch of fabric yeah. folded over. And, and it exposes the inside of the tabernacle. Do you have that picture in your workbook? There you go. Look at that. Uh, so do you see how many layers? We're going to talk about this eventually, but do you see all of the layers of fabric there? The blue and then the badger skin and then the seal skin. Do you see all of that on the outside of the tabernacle? There was layer upon layer of fabric that covered that tabernacle and it's cut and we're able to look in there. But can you imagine how dark that would have been? That, that, was, that was not just beautiful fabric, it was badger skin and then it was seal skin. Can you imagine? It would have blotted out all of the natural light. There was no natural light in the tabernacle. There were no windows, there, there, there was nothing to let natural light come in. There was no entrance of any other light other than what the lampstand would provide it. And you and I are created to be that kind of lamp, that lampstand. That we are, we are, everything around us is dark. That there is no other light in this world. And we step into it and we bring light and we illuminate the dark place. Do you see it? If you were a priest and you had walked through that, that outer court into, to, through that doorway into the, the, the holy place, it would be dark. And the first thing you'd be drawn to is the lampstand that's illuminating. Can you imagine the impact that would have been in that dark place to have this lampstand standing there reflecting and illuminating that entire place? You would notice it, wouldn't you? And you and I are called to be that kind of lampstand that people notice the difference about us, that we illuminate everywhere we go. We're called to hold out the light, to be lampstands for him. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and I turn, and after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. How many golden lampstands? Seven. Seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching to his feet, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were white and white like wool, glistening white like snow, 
and his all-seeing eyes were flashing like a flame in the fire, piercing in my, into my being. His feet were like burn, burnished, white-hot bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was, a power, was powerful like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars, and from his foot, mouth came a sharp two-edged sword of judgment, and his face reflecting his majesty and the Shekinah glory was like the sun shining in all its power at midday. When I saw him, I fell to his, at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, absolute deity and son of God, and the ever-living one, living and beyond all time and space. I died, but see, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of absolute control and victory over death and of Hades, the realm of the dead. So write the things which you have seen in the vision and the things which you are now happening and, the th and things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, divine messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Great. Thank you, Becca. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Do you, do you see that? In the Old Testament, we have one lampstand. It's in the tabernacle, then in the temple. We have one lampstand mentioned. We have one church in the Old Testament. It's, it is Israel. Do you see it? God's chosen people. But fast forward into the New Testament, and we see in this passage in Revelation that there are seven golden lampstands mentioned. And don't miss the fact that he immediately tells us that those seven golden lampstands, what is seven the number of? perfection or completion. So it's not that there are seven churches only that matter. What he's saying is the, the church in, the, in its totality, the, 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 the complete church, seven churches, the seven golden lampstands. He said, now there's seven lampstands and they're symbolic of the seven churches. Do, do you see it? And so what he's saying there is the church is supposed to be a lampstand. The church is, that that is you and me. Remember, a church is not some place you go, it's something you are. Do you need me to say that again? The church is not some place you go, it's something you are. You and I are the church. We are that tabernacle. Christ dwells within us. And we are the lampstand in this dark world to go into it and illuminate a world for him. Do you see it? Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, though that, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yes, very good. He chose us. He predestined us to be like him, to be conformed in his image. If the tabernacle is a picture of him and he is the lampstand and it's a picture of Christ and the illumination the Holy Spirit brings and him being a li the light of the world. Now we are called to be conformed to his likeness, to be lights in a dark place, to be that lampstand, the church today, to be a city on a hill. To shine our light for him. Uh, that the church should be the reproduction of Christ. And as we grow in him, we become more and more like him. We've been predestined 
to be conformed to his image, to be like him, to shine like he does. How about 2 Corinthians 3.18? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all with unveiled faces. When Moses came down from the mountain after he had been with the Lord, what did he have to put over his face? A veil. And why did he put a veil over his face? Because he didn't want the Israelites to see what? The glory of the Lord. And what he's saying here, because it was fading, and he didn't want them to see that it was fading. And can I just tell you that we now are, are, are coming down from the mountain with him, and we, our faces are unveiled. The glory doesn't fade anymore because it's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The glory doesn't fade. And we with unveiled faces, look at that scripture, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed to his image with ever increasing glory, not with diminishing glory like Moses had. You and I are meant to shine with his glory, to be lampstands for him. So do you see the picture of the lampstand here? Do you see, now we're going to talk about Christ and, and how it's a picture of him in the tabernacle, but do you, are you getting the picture of us as Christians, as the church today, how we're meant to shine for him, how we're meant to light up the darkness for him? I, I want you to see that the function of the golden lampstand was to provide light and illumination for the priests as they carried out their duties in the holy place. Remember, the outer court the holy place, and the most holy place. And we're talking about the holy place tonight, and there are three pieces of furniture there. The table with the bread of presence we talked about last week, and then we have the altar, the golden altar of incense that we'll talk about next week, and then we have the golden lampstand. Now remember, I told you about all those layers of fabric. Uh, there were four layers thick. There was linen, then a layer of goat's hair, then it was covered with ram skin, and finally a layer made with the hide of sea cows. So can you imagine how dark it must have been in that holy place? And the only light that was present there was that lampstand. And the priests would not be able to perform their duties if there wasn't any light there. Oh, can I tell you, we are all the royal priesthood. We are all priests and we cannot perform our duties in this world unless we have illumination coming from him and from his Holy Spirit. Unless we're spending time in his word. What did we say the bread of presence meant last week? The bread of presence was symbolic of his word eating of his word, indulging in his word, partaking of his word. Now, I want you to think about the picture up there. If the priest came in to partake of that bread and there wasn't any light there, what would happen? It would be chaos. They wouldn't be able to see what they were doing. Are you following me? But the light, which is symbolic of God's presence and the Holy Spirit in us, illuminated that room, and so they were able to see to partake of the bread. Can I tell you that every morning when I get up in the Word of God and I partake of this bread of life, I say, Lord, this is a supernatural book, and I can't understand it. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, the Bible says, and the natural man cannot understand it. And so every morning I get up to partake of this book, I say to the Lord... I need revelation. I need supernatural illumination from your spirit. I need you to light up the word and give me understanding of it. Do you see the, the connection between that lampstand and the bread of presence? 
And next week, we'll see the connection between that lampstand and the altar of incense. So it would have been dark in there, and the only light came from that lampstand. And, and as the priests entered the holy place, I want you to see that the golden lampstand would have stood on the left or the south side of the holy place. And directly across from, the, from it was the table of showbread on, on the north side. And it would have been giving off light, illuminating that darkness. And can you imagine how that would have cast its, its light onto that bread of presence just, just by being across the room from it? And, and that's how I feel in the morning when I sit with the word. There, there's some things I read over and over and over. And then all of a sudden, the Lord shines his light on it. And he gives me understanding. He gives me illumination. And I have, I have, I'm able to partake and enjoy his word because of the illumination that comes from his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read Exodus 25 verses 30 through 31 through 40. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower, and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand." On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, and a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Very good. Good, good, good. So I have this picture. David, do you remember where it's, they just moved it out into the square? We just saw it. It was just, it's just been moved. They have a group of people who have um, prepared the furniture for the, 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 the temple, the future temple after the return of Christ. They, they have every piece of the furniture now built. Remember, Sandy, do you remember seeing this? What, the people that were with us in, in Israel, do you remember? We, we went into a museum where they now have the pieces built and they just moved this lampstand outside. They have it protected with bulletproof glass because it's made of pure gold. I can't remember the amount of money that it costs, but to just to tell you that it's one talent of gold. And, and I looked up the price of gold this week. It was interesting to me because it was made of one talent of gold. And um, let me just see if I can find the, the price of gold right now. Does anybody know off the top of your head? Uh, the current selling price for an ounce of gold is $1,487.10. Now, 
This is one talent of gold. And one talent of gold would weigh between 75, some commentators said 75 pounds, some said up to 90 pounds. So let's say it's 90 pounds. How many ounces are there in a pound? 16 ounces in a pound. This would have weighed 90, uh, 90 pounds. So do the, the calculation. An ounce of gold costs $1,487.10 as of today's price. So can you imagine one talent about 75 to 90 pounds, how much that golden lampstand would cost. Is there any wonder it's protected by bulletproof glass? And so that is what they think it must have looked like. I, I want you to really take a look at that. Remember, it was kept in the, the, the um, holy place. Now, the holy place had another name. It was called the tent of meeting. It was the place where, where they could go and meet with God. Do, do you see that? The, the, the holy of holies was the place where God's presence was. And, and so this was called the tent of meeting. It was a meeting place with God, a place where we meet with him. Can I tell you, we meet with him when we open up his word. We meet with him in prayer, the golden incense. We, we meet with him when we're sensitive to his Holy Spirit. That's what those three things stand for. The bread of presence, the holy, the, 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 the word of God, the, the golden lampstand, the presence of his Holy Spirit illuminating, and then the golden incense, which is a picture of prayer. That's how we meet with God. Do, do you see the connection here? Don't miss the fact that there were no measurements given for this. All we know is it was one talent of gold hammered. And that's going to be important. Don't miss that, that it was hammered gold. Remember, we talked about gold being symbolic of divinity, uh, of deity. It was pure gold. There was no wood involved in the making of this candlestick. And, and that tells me it would have been very valuable. And it was made from one piece of gold. That's important because the Father and I are one. Lord, I prayed, the Lord prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Do, do you remember that scripture? It was made of one piece of pure gold. And that gold was hammered. Can you imagine the enormous cost? Oh, can I tell you? The enormous cost that was paid for us to have his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The price that was paid on the cross of Calvary for us to be able to have his Holy Spirit living within us. Now, I want you to see this lampstand. It was made of one piece, and it had one center shaft. Do you see that? That, that main center shaft coming down. And then there were six candlesticks on either side, or lampstands on either side. Do you see that? What is six the number of? Man. Six is the number of man. And I want you to see that Christ, the center, and then we are the offshoots of him. The Bible talks about how if we were not from, we were not born of Israel, we weren't is, uh, from Israel, and we were Gentiles, we were crafted, and we were grafted into him. But we still became one with him. Do you see it? He says he is the vine the main center branch, and we are the branches, that he is the main center source, and we are the branches coming off of him. Do you see that in that picture right there? Six, again, is the number of man, and, and I want you to see that the, 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 um, the base and its branches were not separate. It was one big hammered piece. It wasn't a bunch of pieces glued together. It was one single hammered piece, and that's important. 
because we are not separate from him. The Bible says there's absolutely nothing we could do to separate ourselves from the love of God. Do you see that? That we are grafted within him. Each of the six side branches, and you can see that in this picture, had three bowls made like an almond blossom. And those bowls contained oil, and that was the actual lamp. And it was beautifully decorated with an ornamented knob and a flower. And the center stem had four of those bowls that were made like an almond blossom. It's interesting that the references to flowers and knobs and blossoms there. It's a floral design, and many scholars think that floral design uh, was the, that was the, damp, the lampstand was designed around was to remind the Israelites of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and the idea that in him was life, and that life was the light of man, and that true life and light is found only in his presence. They would have remembered that in the Garden of Eden, well, well, they, they lost life when they got out of his presence and hid from him. Now, 1 John 1, 5, one of you have that, uh, 1 John 1, 5. Anybody have it? Yep. Go ahead. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is light. He is the light stand, the golden lamp stand. He, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That means without exception, there is absolutely no darkness in him. And in him is life. We look for life in so many other sources. But in him is life. We find life when we eat that bread of presence. We find life when we're sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We find life when we spend time in prayer. The picture of that lampstand in Exodus 25 is a living, growing tree. And as we eat of the bread of his presence, as we spend time in prayer, as we allow his Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our lives, do you see how we grow and we flourish in him? And that's the picture that we see in that lampstand. I want you to note that it was one piece one whole piece. The side lights were not separated or detached from the center. That's really important. Oneness is important to God. If you turn over to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, I don't have a note for them to read this. I just added it on the way here. But, but I want to just look what Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verses 21 through 22. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Why does he want us to be one, one piece with him? So that the world may believe that, he sent, that, that, that God sent Jesus. That we give testimony by the way we live. See, this is why unity is so important in the body of Christ. Oneness, unity is vital. When the body is united with Christ, we shine brighter for him. And the world sees a difference in us and the unbeliever down the street. If we are not behaving, if we're behaving as darkness, the world doesn't see him. The world doesn't believe that God could possibly have sent him. Because we're no different than the unbeliever down the street. 
There were almond blossoms all over that lampstand. The knobs were, were, were almond buds, and then the almond blossoms throughout that lampstand. And the almond was a well-known symbol of resurrection to the Israelites because it was the first tree to flower, and they would have known that. It was much like in Palestine, the almond tree was much like the snowdrop, which is why this ministry is called Snowdrop Ministries, because the snowdrop is the first flower to break through the ground after a hard, brutal winter. And the almond tree was the exact same way. It was the first tree that would flower after a hard winter. And it was a picture of life coming from death. It was a picture of resurrection power. It's a picture of new life. And I'm just going to tell you, if you want to stay in the outer court, you will never taste that new life. If you never get close to his glory, if you never go deep into his presence and you're just an outer court Christian, you will never taste of that kind of life-giving power. If, if all you do is stay out by the altar, burnt offerings and the bronze laver, see that outer courtyard? That's where most Christians live. We live aware that we have salvation through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross of Calvary. And we live just looking forward to going to heaven, but we never enter in to that place of meeting, that tent of meeting where we meet with him, where we spend time in his word, where we spend time in his Holy Spirit's presence. Can I tell you, there is something about going up higher with his sweet Holy Spirit, allowing the spirit to infiltrate your life, to fill you to empower you, to equip you. There's something about just basking in his presence, spending time in prayer that illuminates your life and fills you all over again with life. People say, Rhea, why are you so passionate? Because that's where I live. I live in that tent of meeting. The closer I can get to him, the better off I am. Can I tell you, when I'm in the outer court, ask Dave, I'm ugly. I ugly comes out in the outer court. But remember that almond, that almond flower was symbolic of life coming from death, from, from death uh, being, being, not being able to hold you, a new life coming out of you, sprouting out of you, resurrection power shouting, sprouting out from you. And as long as I stay in that outer court, ask my children, ask Dave, I am not a fun person to be around. But get me into his presence. Get me into his word. Let me just sit with his Holy Spirit and just say, Lord, talk to me about this. Illuminate this stuff in my life. Put your finger on whatever you want me to deal with. And I spend time in prayer, which is that tent of meeting. When I do that, oh, the life that begins to sprout out. The life that begins to come to the death that tries to consume me. The darkness that tries to overwhelm me. You see, what we do is we're content to stay in that outer court, and he wants us to go in deeper with him. The Hebrew word for almond, if you look it up, it means wakeful or hastening. Oh, I love it. And Lord, help me to just convey this the way you showed it to me. It comes from the root word signifying to be awake. <laughs> you see, when his Holy Spirit fills your life afresh and anew. The Bible says, be ye filled. It's a continuous filling. It's not a one time I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I got the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. For me, it's a moment by moment thing where I got to say, Lord, I, I just need to feel you. I just pray you fill me again with your sweet Holy Spirit. Saturate, Lord, my life with your presence. Fill my mouth with your words and not my garbage. Lord God, fill me afresh and anew. 
Be ye filled. It's a continuous, ongoing filling that we get when we get in that tent of meeting, that place of meeting with him. Do you see this? And it means we awaken. Can I tell you when I get in his presence, I awake. There's times I stand up to preach sometimes. I can go to conferences on the weekend and and the place is just dead. And I want to just say, wake up. The almond was a picture of wakeful hastening. Remember, it was the first tree to to blossom in January. And it it was a picture of it awakening while the, the other trees were still sleeping. And it gets even better because the, the Bible says in Jeremiah 1, verses 11 through 12, did that, was that one of your, your scriptures? I'll just read it. Jeremiah, he says, the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, what do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. That word watching, the King James says, I will hasten my word to perform it. It's that same word for almond. It means I am literally wakeful over my word. Oh, I just, I just want you to understand this. Please, Lord, help me to convey it. What was the bread of presence about? The word of God. Partaking in the word of God. Are you with me? What is the lampstand? Illumination of the Holy Spirit. So as I partake of his word, he brings illumination. He shines his light on his word. I have understanding. And then he uses the very same word for those almond, those almond flowers that are all over that lampstand. The thing that's bringing illumination. Are you with me? And that word means that he hastens his word to perform it. He's watchful over the word that I am eating and partaking of, and he is giving me illumination about, and he is hastening his word to perform it. He's eager to fulfill it in my life. Oh, you're not getting this because you wouldn't be able to just sit there. I'm just telling you, do you understand the word that we're reading that he's bringing illumination through by his Holy Spirit, that he is watching over it, Chrissy. He's watching over his word. I just want to fulfill that for you. Just partake of it. Let me bring you illumination about it. I am watching over my word to perform it in your life. If that doesn't make you want to eat it, I don't know what does. Do you understand it? Am I just not explaining it right? Do you see it? That's just so good. It's the very same word for almond. He watches over his word to perform it. Do you understand that every word... Every word is yea and amen to those who believe. All of his promises that he makes in the word of God, the Bible says are yes and amen to those who believe. Let me flesh this out for you. The word of God is a double-edged sword. It means a two-mouthed sword. Are you with me? And all of the words that are in that Bible, all the promises are yes and amen to those who believe. Lord, help me. Double mouth sword. God said it once, one mouth. I say it back to him when I get in his tent of meeting with him. He shines his light on the word as I partake in it, gives me illumination. I get it. And I began to to say every word of God, every promise of God is yea and amen to those who believe. You've already said yes to this word. You mouthed it once. Now I'm mouthing it back to you, Lord, and I'm giving the amen. Amen means so be it. 
I'm saying, Lord, you say that all your promises are yea and amen to those who believe. You just illuminated a word of God to me, a promise to me as I partake of your word, and you illuminated it, and it became rhema to me. Do you know what rhema is? A rhema is an aha moment when you're reading the word of God. Words, when you just read them, are logos. But when you get a, oh my goodness, I understand that scripture and it gets deep down in within me, that's a rhema. That's an aha moment. It's an illuminated word from God. And you see, when you get an illuminated word from God, mm, it gets deep in your spirit and you begin to mouth that thing in every prayer you have and it becomes deep within you and you start to understand God mouthed it once, I mouth it back to him and I say, amen, so be it. Because he's already said yes to it. Amen. That's a good word. Do do, do you understand that he hastens his word to perform it? That word hasten, it means accelerates. He's accelerating. He's putting the pedal to the metal. He wants to fulfill that word. Do you see it? Why would we want to stay in the outer court? Why would we not want to move towards his glory and spend time in his word? Oil. The, the top part of those, uh, uh, there were like bowls on the top, and it was meant to contain oil. There were seven lamps, and they were all fed with oil. Now, one of you have Leviticus verses, uh, chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Can we hear that? The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priests must tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand, continually in the Lord's presence. How often did that burn, Mary Alice? Continually. Continually. It needed to burn continually. And the people needed to bring the oil so that the lamp could continue to burn continuously. Be ye filled. A continuous, ongoing filling. What is oil symbolic of in the Word of God? The Holy Spirit. There was no light without the oil. There's no understanding, no revelation, no illumination without the oil. I can read this word all I want, but unless the Holy Spirit brings illumination, brings understanding, brings clarity, it doesn't help me one bit. So the oil, there's no shining without the oil. Can I tell you, there's no shining without the oil. There's no shining without without the oil. We are called to be what? Lampstands. A city on the hill to shine for him as we hold out the word of life. There's no shining without the oil. What is oil symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. Be ye filled. A continuous ongoing filling, not a once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior filling, but a daily, continuous, ongoing filling. Can I tell you, fill me up, Lord. I used to wake up to my mom singing, fill me up, Lord, fill my cup, Lord. All the time she would sing that song. And what I realized now as an adult that I didn't realize when I was a little girl is she was asking him, fill me up, Lord. 
I need, I need oil in my lamp to keep me burning. I need oil in my lamp so I can shine for you. The darkness of this world is choking out the oil. My, my lamp is growing dim. I need you to fill me up, Lord. Be continuously filled with his Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that light was necessary for the communion. Don, go back to the, the, the picture of all the, the, the coverings. If the priest entered in that tent of meeting and he was going to partake of that bread, he would not be able, remember the, the table of the bread of presence was about communion with the Lord. There can be no communion with the Lord without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The lampstand provided the illumination that was needed. And you and I cannot have illumination for communion with God without the Holy Spirit. Notice that the lamps were to burn continuously and never go out. And the, the priests had all of those things that Karen read, trim, wick trimmers and, and cups, and they would go in and they would maintain the wicks and they would trim them and they would replenish the oil. They had to maintain the, those lamps in order for them to keep burning. Can I tell you what? We need to maintain our relationship with God. We, we need to be constantly refilling and, 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 and being intentional about maintaining our lamps, keeping our work wicks trimmed, keeping our oil filled so that we can shine for the Lord. The last thing I want you to see is that it was hammered gold. That's so important. Dave and I have been talking a lot about this this week. The lampstand is the only piece of furniture in the tabernacle that was made of hammered gold. That word hammered means beaten. Who is this symbolic of? Jesus, who was beaten he was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes, we are healed. It speaks of the sufferings of Christ with which we are to identify with. Christ was hammered for us, and without the hammering, there could be no lampstand. Without suffering, we can't be a lampstand for him. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. We will not shine for him. We will not be able to reflect him unless we are hammered. Anybody here besides me getting hammered with circumstances, getting hammered with trials and tribulations, getting hammered with hard times, can I tell you, it hammers. I said to Dave, we need to get new wedding bands, big guy. We need to get hammered gold. Because our, our marriage has withstood some hammering. Can I tell you that a goldsmith says that hammered gold is stronger than regular gold? Have you been hammered? It's only so that you can be a better lampstand and shine brighter for him. I want you to notice when Karen read that, she said it needed to be done. The hammering needed to be done by a skilled workman. Do you think that's a coincidence that God has that in there? That the hammering is done by a skilled workman who knows what he's doing. Can I tell you, your hammering, no matter who is doing the hammering, is done by a skilled workman who knows exactly what he's creating and designing you to be. You can trust his hammering. The way gold was hammered is it was put in a fire, a hot fire, and it was pounded over and over and over until it got into the exact image uh, that, it, that wanted to be achieved. 
And I want you to see, Don, go back to the lampstand, this beautiful lampstand. Look at this. Uh, That beautiful lampstand was not spared the hammering. The hammer was not spared on that lampstand, and neither should you and I think we're going to be. Blows are going to come, but they are forming us, and they are making us into a thing of beauty. How did they get that beautiful lampstand from a chunk of gold? They hammered it. They beat it. And as they beat it and they hammered it, a little chunk of gold, one talent of gold became this beautiful, some people say seven foot tall lampstand. Can you imagine from a chunk of gold, but it took the hammering to to make it and to achieve the design that God had for it. And some of you are fighting against the hammering, but I promise you it is forming you and making you into the image, the thing of beauty that he has you created for. Can one of you turn to Numbers chapter 4, verses 9 and 10? Numbers chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. They are to take a blue cloth. A what color cloth? Blue. A blue cloth. And cover the lampstand that is for light, together with its lamps, its wicks, trimmers, and trays, and all its jars for the oil used to supply it. Then they are to wrap it in all of its accessories and covering of hides of sea cows and put it on the carrying frame. So after they wrap it in blue, they're going to wrap it in what? Covering of hides of sea cows. Sea cows or badger skin. They're going to cover, after they cover it with blue, we've talked about this before. This is when they're transporting the candlestick. They're now going to wrap it in blue. And we talked about blue. It was symbolic of what? Heaven, Heaven, divine things, the supernatural things, and they're wrapping the candlestick in that, and then they're going to take it and all its utensils, and they're going to wrap it in badger skin or the hide of sea cows. Are you with me? So now when it's transported, what are the people going to see out in the world? They're going to see yucky sea cow or hide of sea cow or badger skins. That's, it's going to be concealed so that nobody can see it. They don't know. Only the priests know it's covered in blue. Only the priests know that it's a divine supernatural thing. But the world looks at it and they see sea cows. They see badger skin. Oh, can I just tell you, that is what the world thinks of, of, of Jesus. We know as royal priesthood, we know he's divine. We know he's supernatural. But when the world looks at him, they see sea cow hides. It's concealed. The true knowledge of the light is concealed to those who don't believe. Can I tell you, you and I were made with the purpose of shining for God, spreading his glory and his reflection wherever we go. That's why we were created. Do we have 1 John 1, 6 through 10? Does anybody have that one? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, 
darkness. Remember, darkness is symbolic of evil, of the world. And we don't practice the truth, what's been illuminated. We lie. We don't have fellowship with him. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and, we have, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Do you see that? Everything in that courtyard is designed to bring us into a place of meeting where there's light. Everything we do in our Christian walk is wasted unless we walk in the light as he is in the light. Unless we spend time in his presence, illuminated with his sweet Holy Spirit, walking in the power of his spirit, not having fellowship with the darkness. We need to live. Dave and I were talking about this today. We need to live and stop deceiving ourselves. We need to live in the light as he is in the light. That means we have no fellowship with darkness. That means the enemy says, hey, come and do this. It'll be fun. The enemy says, oh, lie about this. It'll be fun. The enemy will say, nobody's looking. Do this. Who cares? And when we do that, we have fellowship with the dark and the light is not in us. But if we walk in the light, illuminated by his Holy Spirit, doing, empowered by his Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to his word, then we are in the light as he is in the light. And remember, he is life and the light of all men. So when we walk in the light, we walk in life abundant. And he came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. He is living within us, and we need to walk as children of light. The closer we draw to him, the more illumination we have. Do you see it? The closer we get to his presence, the more light that's there. I was thinking on the way here tonight, I was thinking about Paul on the road to Damascus. What blinded him? Light. Light came and blinded him. He had an encounter with God that radically changed his life. Can I tell you, I wonder... If you've had a radical encounter with God that has changed your life, I'm going to ask Ian to come and, and, and close out in his song. But while he does, I want to ask you, have you ever been in his presence or are you an outer court Christian that's content with that? There is power in his presence. There, there is power, a supernatural power that he wants to infiltrate our life with through the power of his Holy Spirit. He wants to fill our life, not just once when we received him as our Lord and Savior, but he wants it to be a continuous, ongoing filling. Do you understand that there are gifts of his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that he wants us to function in the gifts of the Spirit? There's fruit of his Spirit that needs to flow off our life. And in order for that to happen, we have to be in a place where we allow him to fill our life with his sweet Holy Spirit so that we can go out into this world and shine for him. Do you see it?